Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. This Spiritual Fix presents TSF Shorts. A potluck of preludes between episodes. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to this first short of season six. Today we are going to be talking about misogyny, female surgeons, Anna's latest British tabloid exploit, and other things. Enjoy. Hey, Christina. Hey, Anna. And hello to our listeners. This is a short. And if you're a new listener, these are in between episodes. They're like mini episodes where we don't really go into shadow work or light work. We just talk about random things that are either on our mind in current events or just whatever things that are interesting us at the time. Yes, especially because we do lots of series throughout our seasons it's good for us to be able to kind of get a more up-to-date thing in there so that's good and so Anna why don't you tell us about your current event you're Miss Famous in the UK I'm not even famous but I am in a British tabloid so for those of you who are familiar with the show back I think two seasons ago we interviewed somebody who had had an NDE and your death experience and I told my NDE experience and I made a TikTok video about the similarities. So a lot of people who come close to dying may or may not have an NDE, which is a near-death experience. And the people who do have a near-death experience, they will have one of 11 universal characteristics. So I basically did a TikTok about the 11 11 universal characteristics. It got a lot of feedback. A lot of people who had had NDEs commented on that TikTok, which was really cool because I loved scrolling through it. And people were like, yes, I had all of those, or I had that on an acid trip and like whatever. And a journalist reached out to me to interview me about that TikTok and my own NDE. And it ended up in the Sun News, which is like a British tabloid. And my brother's like, you do know that's the National Enquirer of of England or UK. <laughs> and I was like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. So anyways, I'll, I'll link the, the article in the show notes. She did. And now I know how celebrities feel because she did like change a lot of things. Like she like insinuated that I was a poor swimmer. I was actually on the swim team. I was not a poor swimmer when I had my near drowning experience. She also kind of insinuated that I had left my healthcare career in order to focus on past lives full time. And that's not true either. Like I'm still a physical therapist. 
I just do the podcast in our spare time. And our podcast is not just about NDEs. So there was, there was some liberties that she took, which I don't really care. Cause the, the, the whole point of the story, like the story got told and that's what needed to happen, but I could totally relate to other celebrities in my shoes, reading <laughs> articles about them that weren't totally accurate. Anna Stromquist said me the record straight for Hugh, you here now. Yes, I was a good swimmer. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all need to know that. I was 16 years old and probably 85 pounds. And I believe that was a strong swimmer. Yeah, that, that's, 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 that's very cool. That's very yeah. cool. So I wanted to talk today because this, because we like to talk about current events. I really wanted to talk about the Peruvian alien, like that they found a mummified, they found mummified remains of an alien in Peru near the Nazca lines, which the Nazca lines we've talked about before, those lines you can only see from the, from aerial views. And then when I was doing research to like, I was so excited to talk about it today, I found out, well, it wasn't even a real alien because he presented it at this Mexican um, government meeting and scientists went into it and turned out it was just, it was just human and animal bone carcass stuff put together in this hodgepodge looking animal. It was picture. like a, it was like a animalian paper mache. It's like yeah. animal mache. So animal mache. And then my friend who is hilarious sent me this article and it was like an onion or something. And it was like, it was like Peruvian alien turned out to just be cake. And it was one of those, you know how people make these elaborate, realistic looking cakes and you're like, is it cake or is it really a hamburger? And they cut it and it's like a five layer cake. So, so there's like this person cutting into the, the, the alien and it's just like layers of cake. <laughs> God, that's hilarious. My kids loved Is It Cake? And I could just see that being the case. That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, what I did want to talk about, though, was another research article, a, a legitimate article that was in the newspaper, <laughs> Yeah. not in a tabloid and not about <laughs> animal paper mache. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> What I did want to talk about was a couple of studies that were recently done looking at outcomes of surgical patients with male versus female surgeons. So basically what they did was they looked at the outcomes like 90 days after an operation and also a year after an operation to see did the male or female surgeons you know, have better outcomes, right? They found that 13.9% of patients treated by a male surgeon had adverse post-operative events, which is just like a catch-all phrase, which would include things like, you know, the surgery coming undone, death, medical complications, stroke, pulmonary embolisms, infection, you know, just like anything that could possibly go around within 90 days. And then they looked at patients of female surgeons and they there it was 12.5%. So 13.9 and 12.5% comparatively, right? Male to female. Right. Then they also looked at these patients a year out, right? And a year out, the patients of the female surgeons also seem to fare much better with only 20.7% having adverse post-operative events and 25% of male surgeons. So the idea is like, you are quote unquote, more likely to be safe in the hands of a female surgeon. Another study was also looking at other factors, and they noticed that female surgeons operated more slowly than their male colleagues. Operations that are that are headed by a female surgeon are longer, on average, than male surgeons. And also, 
that female surgeons are less likely than male surgeons to switch from keyhole to open surgery during an operation. What that means is let's say they're doing robotics or arthroscopy, like they're using video camera robotic, or they're using like very fine tuned instruments and a screen. And then like, let's say they get halfway through and they're like, fuck it, we're just going to open them up and go in there. So male surgeons are more likely to do that. Right. So they were just, there was just a very interesting study indicating that female surgeons are at, as not only as good as male surgeons, but in the case of post-operative events, even better. So one thing that I want to say is that when I was in grad school in healthcare, one of our professors asked us like, what do you think is the most important factor regarding someone's outcomes with their medical provider. We were like level of education, level of CEUs, continuing ed or level of degree, whatever, whatever, where they went to school. No, it was actually trust. Does the patient trust you? The patient who trusts you is going to have better outcomes. So I was looking at some studies, like what study was he talking about? I couldn't find the one he was addressing, but there was a more recent one in 2017. It was a meta-analysis looking at many different studies. And it did find that if the patient trusted their clinician, that they were going to have more satisfaction with treatment, better outcomes, better health behaviors, and higher quality of life. Now, this is where I find it really interesting. As a whole, women kind of in general, have not been considered quote unquote smart enough, whatever, to be doctors. Now that's changed, right? Like statistically, there are now more women in medical school than men. It's 55%. It used to be 50% in 2019. It, it just keeps growing, right? So it's becoming a more female dominated field, but it used to be a completely male dominated field. And people would have more faith traditionally in their male physician. But then when you look at surgery, you don't have a relationship with your surgeon. It's where's the trust going to happen, right? The surgeon, if anyone has ever had surgery or you've worked in a hospital, you know that surgeons, they're like in, they're out. They talk to the patient very briefly. They see them for follow-ups. They kind of run the behind the scenes and that's it. So in a way, the fact that female surgeons are having better outcomes means it's a, it's a variety of healthcare that does, is not dictated by trust. Do you see what I'm saying? I and do. so yeah. Yeah. is it saying that female physicians have been better all along, but that when you have them one-on-one -on -one with you, you don't trust them because you do not see that female surgeon in surgery. Like you, you go into surgery, you come out, you, you don't really see the surgeon. So I don't know. I just thought that was super interesting about our levels of trust. Like people, maybe they'll start trusting female physicians more and female psychiatrists and female physiotherapists therapists and, you know, all sorts of different divisions of, of, of healthcare, because I think at present sur surgery is just an interesting one to show a bias in when people don't really even have a relationship with their surgeon. Yeah. Well, I mean, you do occasionally see them, right? Like you do kind of very, very seldom, at least, at least in the orthopedic industry where I work, like in that sector, a lot of these physicians, the neurologists, the kidney specialists, the primary care, the oncologists, they have a relationship with the patients. As far as the surgical team goes, the, like the patient briefly, it, in yeah. almost all situations, they briefly see them. If it's an emergent event in the hospital, they definitely don't have a, a relationship. If it's a hospital, you know, and then if it's an elective surgery, like orthopedics, it's, it's really an in and out. And usually it's just their PA who sees them on the follow-up. So I don't know. I find it super interesting. And then I wanted to ask you, Christina, 
Why do you think female surgeons are having better statistical outcomes than male surgeons? Like, why do you think that would be? And I'll tell you why I think it is. Well, Just if, curious. I gonna, if I were going to be a misogynist, if I was going to take a misogynistic view of it, I would say that women, that's maybe not even misogynistic, that women who succeed in medicine against the odds, like, you know, like 30 years ago, like women who actually succeeded in becoming a doctor against all odds had to be much better anyway, right? So it's like that whole thing that like, if you're, you know, if you're a woman in politics, you have to be that much more ruthless because you're a woman in politics, right? Getting ahead when you have more things against you makes it so that you have to be even more of a caricature of whatever it is so that therefore you could see the same thing. If I were to take the Sanders point of view, I would say that there's a level of a lack of care and like a kind of a toxicity of overconfidence, very similar to what you see in the stock market. Like, you know, like if you have banks that are run by women as opposed to run by men, or, you know, you're going to have better outcomes with women, like they usually have higher returns on, on banks owned by women. And even in Iceland during the 2008 recession, the women owned bank was the only one that didn't go under. Every other bank in Iceland went under because they were more risk averse than the men were. And so that's when they made the law in Iceland that you have to like have a split board, 40, 60, one way or another to women and men. Anyway, what's the, what's the reason? Those are my theories. <laughs> Both of those answers were things I had thought about. Another one I thought may, might be the reason is maybe women are more community-based in their approach. So they might be getting more feedback from other team members, right. you know, in the sense of getting input from other physicians, or really listening to the nurses, like when the nurses come to them and say, hey, this this patient is having a drug interaction to this and and or not dismissing complaints. I think that could be another reason. I do agree, maybe there is something to do with, and this is no offense to men, like, like I was just reading this book about Spartan history and it's like the Spartans versus the Athenians and there's all these class structures. And it's like, well, if you're always the cool race, you're going to just not get used to second guessing yourself. So if you're always the cool dude, you don't second guess yourself. And I feel like women, we do second guess ourselves a lot, right? So maybe yeah. asking for more advice, asking more for more input, more community-based approach, listening to the nurses, taking the nurses seriously, taking the female patients seriously. What I would really like to know in this study is do female patients have way better surgical outcomes and outcomes in general when their physician or surgeon is female versus male? Because there is a lot, a lot, a lot of stories of women not being taken seriously, especially black women, okay? Like- especially black women in our country, in our healthcare system. So anyways, there's all these just different, like just so many variables. And I don't know what the right answer is, but I do know if I ever need surgery, I'll be going to a woman. I can say, I can say, I can definitely relate to that in so many different ways. Cause like the female I've had two, like in the brief surgeries I've had, I've had one female and one male and the male was just like, but that's definitely not a big enough case. But I was like, the the female was just so amazing. The woman was so amazing, the woman surgeon, because she under, she didn't say it wasn't possible, if you know what I mean. But I think more so than anything, what I was seeing, what you were saying is that like so many of the responses to that same article that you were talking about were like, my my male doctor said, you have anxiety. And then, you know, my the female doctor, the female nurses said, oh, she's in kidney failure or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And then I just want to say one thing about reproductive health, which is really interesting, is also it's not just, you know, male, female, it's women of color versus white women. And I remember when you told me that when you went in to get, you wanted to get your tubes tied or what it, what, what is it that you wanted? You wanted an IUD? You wanted, no, what did I you wanted, want? I, I was considering getting my tubes tied. As a okay. You're getting your tubes yeah. tied. And they yeah. were like, tr- they were filling your head with like, it's very dangerous. You increase your risk of cancer. Are you sure? Da, 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 da. Yeah. And then we, I saw a TikTok. You saw a TikTok about how black women are like encouraged to get yeah. sterilized. Yeah. Okay. So you had had two children and you're white and they very strongly encouraged you not to get your tubes tied. Meanwhile, my friend who's black went to a, a gynecologist to get her tubes tied. And guess what they said to her? She, by the way, she only has one child too. Not only should you get your tubes tied, you should get your tubes removed because then it's like a 99.999% chance that you won't get pregnant. So she had a, I, I might pronounce this wrong, salpingectomy, where it's like they remove your ovaries and your tube, like they remove everything. Oh my gosh. Which, yeah, they like not crazy. only, in her case, they did not only did not discourage it, they encouraged her to even go through a more like oh, risky route. Wow. And she did, and she's happy with her decision. But I just want to like put that out there. There's a whole nother element there. And I don't even know if any of this has to do with spirituality, but it has to do with humanity, which is spirituality. So here we go. Christina, your turn. What were you going to talk about today? <laughs> well, okay. So I was going to talk about a couple of things, but one of the things I was talking about was I just thought it was interesting because I was reading Down Girl, which is a pretty old book at this point. It's by a woman named Kate Mann, which is hilarious that her last name is Mann in its own way. It's from 2017 and it's called Down Girl, The Logic of Misogyny. And it's really interesting because it was in this book that they first coined the term empathy, which is sympathy for sexual assault, people like perpetrators of sexual assault, like sexual assaulters, I guess that would be. And it was interesting because it's come up a lot what i've seen too in conversations of like recognizing that there is on the one hand there's outright misogyny which is just like outright men who are enforcing you know who are who hate women right like and in this you know all this conversation that we have around like you know, men seem to like men better, you know, we could talk forever about misogyny, what we won't, but it was interesting because what this, this book points out is a subtler form of misogyny, which is actually just the enforcement of the patriarchy, right? So the enforcement of this idea that the man needs to be respected and that, you know, and, and an example of that is, you know, uh, a girl didn't want her father to go down the aisle with her. And he said, that's so disrespectful of me and like everything that I mean to you. And like, I'm your father and you should, you're, you're disrespecting me by, by asking me to not go down the aisle with you for whatever reason. Right. And so, you know, the point being that like, ultimately when it came down to it, you know, maybe this man, this father was willing to he wasn't a misogynist, but he was willing to enforce patriarchal norms like, oh, I have to give you away. That's my job to give you away, things along those lines. And and kind of where I wanna go from that is this understanding of what I have recently become acquainted with because I've been doing a lot of writing and different thing, which is Maureen Murdoch's heroine's journey. So. For those of you guys who understand the hero's journey, if you read Joseph Campbell's Hero of a Thousand Faces, you know, you have 
the hero's journey and the hero's journey typically if you want it you could use harry potter you could use star wars there's so many different things that you could use and what i think is fascinating about it is that the hero's journey is all about you know if you want to use star wars as an example you know there's the hero and he's called to action and then yours usually says oh i don't want to do that or i can't go and then all of a sudden he's forced to go or he makes a choice to go on the journey and then he goes on the journey and then there's always going to be you know a, a first second and third act in that whole hero's journey in which eventually he has to learn something in himself to become whatever it is that he's meant to be right and then that becomes the end of the story as he triumphs in the end because he's learned what he needs to learn in order to be able to become what you know to to realize himself what's fascinating is the heroine's journey follows the hero's journey but goes further and a really great example of this is mulan okay so mulan if you were to take the first part of mulan that is the hero's journey right so she you know she she's called to action she's called to go because she wants to go she takes on a literally a masculine she becomes the masculine hero in the story mulan she follows the hero's journey as a masculine hero like in a man's in the guise of a man she goes and she defeats you know she defeats and becomes this great warrior right but it's interesting because in mulan after she because she has the hero's journey and after she's discovered for being a woman you know that's when kind of in some ways her heroine's journey begins because it's very key to say that there is a death that happens in which she has to actually come back into the feminine inside the story so i'm going to kind of just outline these 10 different steps of the heroine's journey and the women's quest for wholeness is divided into 10 stages so these are the 10 stages the heroine Number one, the heroine separates from the feminine. So just like in Mulan, the feminine is often the mother mentor figure or societal prescribed feminine marginalizer outsider role. So the heroine in some ways separates from the feminine aspect, um, whether it's that marginalized role or whether it's their mother or a mentor figure, they become separate and individual. The second is the identification with the masculine and the gathering of allies. This is when the heroine embraces a new way of life that often involves choosing a path that is different from the heroine's prescribed societal role, gearing up to quote unquote fight an organization role or group that is limiting the heroine's life's option or entering some masculine dominant identity defined sphere. So again, this is when Mulan joins the army, right? That's like, that's that example of like, you know, that's not tech technically, you know, typically what happened, she had to disguise herself to do that. Third is road or trials and meeting of ogres and dragons. So the heroine encounters trials and meets people who try to dissuade the heroine from pursuing their chosen path or who try to destroy the heroine. So that happens in the entire process of, of Mulan becoming kind of the, the, the hero in the typical hero's jury. Fourth is experiencing a boon of success. So the heroine overcomes the obstacles in their way. And this is typically where the hero's journey ends, right? So this is typically like that entire thing is like, is the entire experience of where the hero's journey is. And so from here on out is just the heroine's journey. So number five is the hero heroine awakens to feelings of spiritual aridity or death. 
So the heroine's new way of life, so attempting to be masculine and have a dominant identity and identity is too limited. Their success in this new way of life is either temporary, illusory, shallow, or betrays, requires a betrayal of self over time. So Mulan effectively becoming a man in order to be in the army is the death that she experiences. She recognizes that if she wants to be herself and be true to herself, she has to show her face for who she is in order to be able to like show that. Number six is the initiation and descent to the goddess. So the heroine faces a crisis of some sort in which the new way of life is insufficient and the heroine falls into despair. All of the masculine dominant strategies have failed them. So she's tried and tried and tried to be the, ma the, hero the masculine dominant thing and it hasn't worked. And then the seven, the heroine urgently yearns to reconnect with the feminine. The heroine wants to, but is unable to return to their initial limited state slash position. And then eight is the heroine heals the mother-daughter split. The heroine reclaims some of the initial value skills and attributes or, or those of others like them, but now views these traits from a new perspective, right? So she's reacquired the feminine within her with a different perspective. And then nine, the heroine heals the wounded masculine within. So the, the heroine makes peace with the masculine approach to the world as it applies to them, right? So even though they felt a death, as a result of this, they are able to kind of come into this new view. And then number 10, the heroine integrates the masculine and the feminine. In order to face the world with a new understanding of themselves and the world, the heroine integrates the masculine and feminine qualities and perspectives. This permits the heroine to see through binaries and to interact with a complex world that includes the heroine, but is also larger than their per personal lifetime or their geographical or cultural milieu. Um, so let me see if I can do this dance like as well as you do, Anna. So you can think of it in some ways that maybe female surgeons are on the heroine's journey where in some ways they have to go on the hero's journey to make the decision to become a surgeon. But as soon as they become a surgeon, they then start to experience a world in which they recognize that bedside manner and trust and all of these different things that they can do in community building is this necessary feminine aspect that they need to bring into their healing journey in order to be able to finally marry, you know, what they accomplished in medical school with the expertise and as well as the community medicine experience that they have, which makes them maybe possibly be the reason why they have better outcomes. <laughs> is that I like it. <laughs> Nice. I was thinking like, I was thinking for an example, like what about Snow White or Cinderella? Like what story we could all think about that everybody in the who's listening knows, but like they weren't really even heroines, right? Mm -hmm. The heroine would be more like Moana. Yes. Yes. Like Moana, even though I did hear the other day that Moana, if you, if you reframe Moana, Moana is actually, she dies on her way to see Maui. Like there's a, there's like a, like a, a different view of that she dies and everything from Maui onwards is is her traveling through the afterlife I saw that did you see that I think <laughs> you like sent that. it to me probably but yes to your point I think that Moana Moana recognizes that she that's a perfect example in Moana right because she's got she has to go on the hero's journey the hero's journey is the vast majority of her experience Right. And then she has to recognize that like it's when she sees, 
you know, to Fiti for what she is, that she comes mm -hmm. back into that and she's able to like to heal the bond and come back to her parents. Oh, I just got chills. Yeah. I love that movie. It's a great, that's a great spiritual movie, by the way. It's not just for kids. It's like a deep movie, Moana. Yes. Very cool. Well, this short was longer than we expected, yep. but it's great. Yep. Right. So tune in next week because we're going to go into the money wound again. Yes. Yes. Enjoy y'all. Tune in. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this TSF short. Join us next week when we will be continuing our money wound series and talking to Leanne Rose and the Galela Collective, her channel. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.